could be at all three masses this weekend. <laughs> How's that for a trooper? This is her third, third go-around of masses this weekend. We really, we really appreciate you. Well, uh, today's story is a very interesting one. Just six days prior to this event, Jesus, uh, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in the same moment, Jesus turns to him and says, the Son of Man is going to suffer, he's going to die, but on the third day he's going to rise again. Now they never got past suffer and death. They never, they never heard the last part, but they sure would later on. And it left them drooping. You ever been drooping? You know, you ever been dragging around, your head, head bowed over, and you're just sort of moping and moving along, you know, moving along? Well, that's how they felt. See, they were extremely uh, attached to Jesus. They were his friend, like you. You're the friend of Jesus, aren't you? Could you imagine Jesus telling you, I'm dying, I'm going away? Well, we'd be sad, wouldn't we? I'd be drooping, I know that. I'd be dragging if I thought that was the case. And nothing different, nothing different for them as well. I mean, uh, they were so attached to Jesus. It reminds me of the instance where Jesus makes some demands of discipleship. He says, he tells the crowd, he says, hey, if you can't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. A lot of them left after that. Well, he goes to the, the apostles, he says, what about you? Are you going to leave? What'd they say? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere to go. Uh, that's how attached they were. They were truly following him. So they were in a, in a tough place. It sort of reminds me of the words of Festus Hagen. You ever heard of him? Gunsmoke? <laughs> Festus. Old Festus. He says this, I've never felt so hogtied in all my life. That pretty well describes it. There, was, there wasn't no wiggle room or anything. So Jesus is looking at him as he looks at us this morning. We, we may be drooping a little bit. And uh, he says, how can I boost them? How can I give them uh, a sense of hope in their life? Because that's why I'm here. That's exactly why I'm here. Well, there's only one thing, really, that could have that kind of impact on, these, uh, on this band of disciples. And he knew what it was. He hadn't shown them his glory yet. No, he hadn't shown them his glory. So he had shown them many things. He had healed many people, but not his glory. He hadn't shown his glory at all. See, they hadn't seen it. Uh, when you see the glory of Jesus, <laughs> it changes you. When you see the glory of Jesus as truly the Son of God, it turns you. It, it empowers you. You know, it takes that droop out of you. Exactly what it does. Well, you know, there's not a lot of instances of uh, the examples in the scriptures about God revealing his glory. Except, that is, for the book of Revelation. Re book of Revelation is full of God's glory. Why is that? Because that's where God's kingdom is. <laughs> you know, God's in heaven. That's where his kingdom is. And so the glory of God's everywhere. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, it, uh, the glory of God is wonderful. What does glory mean? What does that mean? Well, let me give you a few words. Glory means brightness, uh, like we see today. Splendor. Glory means great power and strength. 
Glory means majesty and something that is totally worth, worthy of honor. That's what glory is. And what a wonderful thought that is, is we think that Jesus is about to show all of this to his disciples, and they've not seen it before. Uh, you know, what might be a, 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 some kind of example that we could follow along with this to help us better understand what glory means? Uh, the thought that came to my mind was May the 6th. You know what's happening on May the 6th? Well, that's when King Charles III is going to be coronated. You know? That's going to be a lot of hoopla. It's going to be a glorious event. You know, all the regalia, there's the, the, crown, the crown, there's the orb, there's the scepter, there's the robes. You know there's 3,000 diamonds in that crown he's going to be wearing? 3,000 diamonds. And then the scepter, you know, that symbol of power, that symbol of authority that you always see, it's got a 1.3 pound diamond in it. I think it's, uh, I think they said it's like 3,100 carat diamond. It's the largest one in the world. Well, that's a symbol of power, isn't it? Yeah, boom, this is it, here's the scepter. So uh, that's, sort of, that's sort of the majesty, that's sort of the, the glory, you know, it's bringing it out. Why is that important? Well, it's important because it says somebody's in charge. You know, we're in good shape. Somebody's in charge. And we've entrusted this great power, this great strength to this one king, or as it was before, it was to a queen kind of thing, you know? Same thing here. That's sort of an example of uh, a worldly example, but it's very minute because God's glory is so much bigger. I mean, you know, it's his, his glory is totally out of this world. Now, God, did, uh, Jesus doesn't manifest his glory with uh, robes, does he? Or jewels. He doesn't show his scepter, even though he's got one. You know, if you ever looked at pictures of, uh, of God in heaven, you see him with his scepter and his orb and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what you see, what you know the glory because the brightness. He, he turns bright. It, it must have been. I mean, it's, it's called a dazzling white. It'd make a great TV commercial. Man, if you could market this stuff and your clothes could be dazzling white, you'd be a millionaire. I mean, you really would. Uh, they all took note about it because it was, it was substantial. They glowed. <laughs> I mean, you know, they did. Uh, they were in the presence of God's glory. Well, who was shining this light? Who was emitting this glory? Jesus. Wasn't it? You know, Jesus is like the sun. Like the sun that's out here today. It's the source of brightness. And then we have what's called uh, like the moon. Or if you're standing on the moon today looking at the earth, it's, it's, it's illuminated too. But it's not the source. You know, the source is the sun. And Jesus is the source. I mean, everything about him. I, I can just see all of, the, all of his stuff just burning off of him. There he is. There he is in all of his glory. What a beautiful, beautiful. Why does that matter? Why do I care about that? I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Moses and Elijah, see, they, were, they had some shine to him as well. But theirs wasn't... Uh, they weren't the source. They were the luminaries. They were, 
They were just sort of, the light was bouncing off of them. That's all. Yeah, but glory's not, uh, it's not uh, shown a lot in the scriptures. Probably one of the best places that the glory is shown on earth is in the temple. Starting with Solomon's temple. Oh, gosh, it was a beautiful, it was one of the wonders of the world. You know, Solomon's temple. Literally, literally, billion, over a billion dollars to build it. How'd you like to live in that? Uh, tons of gold, tons of silver, tons of bronze, tons of all the, the finest kinds of wood. Oh, it was beautiful. They love to look at it, sort of like looking at the White House or Buckingham Palace, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, it was beautiful. But there's this guy named Ezekiel. He's a prophet. God showed him another perspective about it. Yeah, it's beautiful. God laid it out, didn't he? But what God shows Ezekiel is God's glory coming into the temple. Read it in Ezekiel. And when God's glory comes into the temple, man, then it's filled. It's awesome. You know, it, it truly is. Now, there's something that you can put your trust, your faith, and your confidence in. But yet, uh, Ezekiel had another vision. Fast forward, I don't know how many years, but uh, God's glory departs from Solomon's temple. And he sees it. He watches it. It's sort of like this. You know, God has an entourage, like we got a choir here. God has an entourage. They're called seraphim and cherubim. All they do is attend to God, and some of them, all they do is fly above him, crying out, holy, holy, holy. All, that's all they do, 24-7, eternity, that's all they do. But the glory of God departed. It's, it's a fascinating story. And when it was gone, Ezekiel saw that the temple, this beautiful, magnificent temple, was nothing but a shell. There wasn't anything spectacular about it now. You know, all the people still looked at it and they admired it because of its, its richness and stuff. That didn't, that's not what matters. It's the glory of the Lord filling the temple that makes the difference. And when the glory left, guess what? The armies came in and leveled it. That's what they did. They wouldn't have done that if the glory of the Lord had been in the temple. I can guarantee you that. But uh, that's what they did. It was destroyed. People were crushed. They were moaning and groaning and crying. Now fast forward another 80 years, and they build another temple. Same place. But it's a miniature version. It's a mini version. I mean, nobody has a billion dollars. Uh, particularly in that time, would you imagine that, uh, to build this wonderful edifice. So they build a mini version without all the, the wheel, the, the uh, bells and the whistles and all that kind of stuff. And when it came day to be dedicated, what did the people do? Well, read it. They cried. They cried. Why did they cry? Because it was so pitiful looking. <laughs> oh, it looked pitiful. You know, oh, the glory days. You ever heard somebody say that? The glory days are over. Why didn't Ezekiel feel that way? God said, come here, Ezekiel. I'm going to show you something. What does he show him? He shows him the glory of the Lord entering that little temple. 
He sees uh, God's entourage of cherubim and seraphim returning. And it's filled with brightness. It's filled with glory. What does Ezekiel do? Same thing the disciples do. When you catch a glimpse of the glory of God, you fall on your face. <laughs> There's nowhere else to go. You're so overwhelmed. You're so you are so awestruck. There's nowhere else to go but on your face. That's just the way it is. Oh, when he saw the glory of the Lord come into that temple, what a wonderful thing! You ought to read it. It's 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 very detailed and it's it's uh, very very beautiful. And um, so then there's another temple. After that one, it's not a new temple, it's a rebuild. Basically what happens 400 years later, a guy named Herod Antipas, you ever heard of him? Well, of course you've heard of him. We read about it. He was around Jesus' day. He says, I'm going to remodel the temple. So after raising everybody's taxes to do it, he, uh, he starts building around the temple. He starts with this little miniature temple, and he starts building around it. So much so that it took 50 years, and it was magnificent. It's called Herod's Temple now, wasn't it? But what happened to that temple? Where, where's the glory of the Lord? Well, you know, glory of the Lord hadn't left. It was still in the, the old mini version of it. 30 years later, Rome would come in, though the glory had left, and level it. Be, all that's left is what's called the Wailing Wall. You heard about that? That's all that's left of the temple over there. Nothing else is left of it. But what a powerful, powerful experience that was. But the glory of the Lord left about 30 years before that. You know why? You know when the glory of the Lord left the temple? The day Jesus was crucified. That's the day the glory of the Lord left the temple. Why is that? Why is it that all this glory, what, why is it that uh, the, the disciples make mention that uh, on the day, the moment that Jesus died, that he breathed his last breath, the Holy of Holies, the, this 50-foot tall curtain, going, it would go all the way up here, is about this thick, it split right in half. And the Holy of Holies, the presence, the glorious presence where God was, was gone. It was open. It was out. <laughs> but where'd it go? It's not in the temple. Where is it? You're not going to believe this. Jars of clay. Jars of clay. That's where it is. You read Corinthians. Paul talks about these jars of clay. They're not nothing impressive about them. Matter of fact, uh, the ones that he talked about were cracked. Now, I'm not saying crack pot, but I'm saying crack pot, okay? I mean, they were busted up. They were weak. They didn't look good. You know, not fitting, it doesn't seem, for something that glorious. Well, what's the pot? What's a crack pot? What is it? It's you. Paul said, you're the crackpot. And the glory of God lives within you. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? 
until we go to heaven, and then we're just filled with glory everywhere. Now, why do I care about that? Why do I care? I'll tell you why I care. It goes back to the reason Jesus showed him his glory today. He showed it to him to boost him, to give him confidence, to encourage him, to give him hope. Think about this. That same God in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives within you. What Paul say, don't you know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives within you? There's that temple word, isn't it? And if God is in you, this power, and it's capable of a prophet like Ezekiel, if it's capable of taking uh, men like Peter, James, and John and knocking them off their feet because it's so powerful, if it's capable that once they experience it, they forget all their troubles, I want to know about it because it's right here. Think about that. God's glory, God's spirit is right here within you. Is God withholding it? No. Seek it. It's there. It's there. 